So we come to um, this morning, and, and we come to actually perhaps to, to an important part of a mission development plan which the Corps has recently put together. As many of you will know, over this past year, a, a representative group from the Corps has put together a mission development plan which will no doubt uh, inform the missional objectives of the Corps uh, for maybe a, a number of years to come. And one of the pieces of work that that group did was to think about what are the things that are important for our core. Above all, anything else, when all is said and done, what are these things when, when, which we want actually to, to, to underline, to underscore, say this is what we're about. And one of the four values that the core came up with was prayer. And we want to encourage prayer in two specific ways. One is we want to encourage corporate prayer. How do we do with that corporately, particularly in a core, which is a gathered congregation that needs to, many of us need to commute in? And secondly, to encourage individual prayer, that we will encourage each other to pray, to make prayer part of our lives, and to pray for each other and to support each other. And of course, it's not saying that none of that already happens. Of course, it does. But what we want to say, it's important. And what we want to say is, don't stop doing it. And what we want to say is, do it better. So for the next four Sundays, to, 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 to really start to underscore and undergird uh, that expression from our core, is we want to think about prayer. And I'm going to commence this morning a four-part part series looking at prayer, and particularly looking at a specific prayer that we find in Scripture it's perhaps not what you would expect. It's not the Lord's Prayer. It's not a prayer that we find of David in somewhere in the Psalms. It's not even in the New Testament, or perhaps a prayer of Paul. Rather, it is a prayer that's found, tucked away in the first book of Chronicles, almost hidden away in the middle of a list of genealogies. And add to that, it is a prayer made by a bit part player in the Bible called Jabez. In short, you'll find the prayer of Jabez in the least read section in one of the least read books of the Bible. It's a short prayer contained just within one verse. But it's a prayer that is so immense, so remarkable, so important, that not only does God grant Jabez his request, but it's going to take me four sermons to really unpack it and to do it any justice. So let's look at this prayer that Jabez uh, makes. Let's make a start this morning. Uh, and as I mentioned, it can be found in the first book of Chronicles. And here's what we read. Jabez cried out to the Lord of Israel, Oh, that you would bless me and enlarge my territory. Let your hand be with me and keep me from harm so that I will be free from pain. And God granted his request. Although found in the first book of Chronicles, the prayer was made during a period uh, of the judges, when judges ruled the land. And I think you'll find it perhaps helpful if I can start this series by placing this prayer in the context of the book of Judges. You may remember, if I take you back a little bit further than that, that Moses led the Israelites out of Egypt, and for 40 years they wandered in the wilderness. And then at the end of that period, on top of Mount Nebo, uh, Moses, uh, after 
preaching his three sermons, which contained in the book of Deuteronomy. Moses died at the age of 120, and it was left to his successor, Joshua, to lead the Israelites back into the land of Israel, the land that God had promised them uh, years before in the days of Abraham. And when Joshua uh, led the people into the land of Israel, he had two things to do. And in the book of Joshua, the first half of that book, verses one to, chapters 1 to 12, talk about how Joshua uh, went from city to city, uh, capturing those cities and destroying them. Because, of course, the land of Israel wasn't empty uh, whilst um, the Israelites were away. It was still full of people. The Bible tells us they were full of Canaanites and Jebusites and Marmites, uh, well, perhaps not my mites, but anyway, lots of ites. And the land was full of these people. And, and the Bible says they were giants, all living in fortified cities. So Joshua and his army went in and destroyed these cities one by one. And the first 12 chapters of Joshua are great bedtime reading. It's, it's victory after victory after victory. There's only one blip when they got to the city Ai, which actually when you read the Bible, it looks as if they, they had a battle on the A1, but it wasn't. It's actually Ai. When they got to that city, they actually were defeated because they went against God's will. But they went back uh, to a replay and into extra time and eventually they won on penalties and eventually that city was, was, was claimed as well. So the first 12 chapters of Joshua are great reading, victory after victory. And the second half of the book of Joshua, chapters 13 to 24, it's about Joshua settling the tribes down in their tribal lands. It's a great time when God's people are coming back into God's land after four centuries in Egypt and after 40 years wandering in the wilderness, now God's people are back in God's land which he gave them. And at the end of the book of Joshua, you may remember this great verse when Joshua says right at the end, but as for me and my household, we will serve the Lord. It's a great affirmation of faith, isn't it, of, of Joshua saying, I don't care what other people say, what other people do, as for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. Just three verses later, the rest of the people come to, to Joshua and say this, that the people said to Joshua, we will serve the Lord and our God and we will obey him. So what a great end to that, that wonderful book. That Joshua saying, as for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. And all the people said, we're going to come with you. We're going to join you. We're going to serve the Lord as well. But just turn one page out of the book of Joshua into the book of Judges, and you see a very different landscape. Book of Joshua, great bedtime reading. Book of Judges, don't read it before you go to sleep, because you probably won't sleep. We enter into the time of Judges, which is a 335 black hole in the history of the Jews. It's not nice reading. It's the story of how this nation, brought by God into this land, started to spiral away from God, slowly but surely. We read, for example, in chapter 2, verse 7, these words. The people served the Lord throughout the lifetime of Joshua, and of the elders, or if you like, of, of the children who outlived Joshua and who had seen all the great things that the Lord had done for Israel. So that generation of Joshua served the Lord, knew the Lord. The children of Joshua knew the Lord and served the Lord. So it, it's great stuff. But look what we read just a few verses later. After that whole generation had been gathered to their ancestors, Another generation arose, now the grandchildren of Joshua, who knew neither the Lord 
nor what he had done for Israel. Just the grandchildren of Joshua, they did not know the Lord, and they did not know the works of the Lord. Joshua and, the, and his people and his generation gladly served the Lord. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. The grandchildren of Joshua, who is the Lord? Never heard of him. Not heard about the battle of, of Jericho. Not heard about the Jordan uh, being open. Not heard about the moon and the sun standing still. Not heard about all these great things that the Lord has done. They did not know the Lord. And this was the start of 335 years of decline, of moral decline, of spiritual decline into secularism. There was division, hatred rising, and so on and so forth. So much so that the very last verse in the book of Judges says this. Everyone did what was right. Which sounds great, doesn't it? Everyone did what was right, but there's a sting on the end of the tail of this verse which says this. In his own eyes. Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. Just think of it. A depressed nation that leaves God behind a divided nation, a morally corrupt nation, a divided nation, a nation that says what I want to do is what I'm interested in. I'm not bothered about what God is interested in. Aren't you glad that you don't live in a nation like that? We do, don't we? That's the point. We do live in a morally corrupt nation, a divided nation, a nation which is becoming less and less a godly nation, a secular nation, a materialistic nation. And the truth is, our nation is no different to the nation in the days of Judges. Which is why the prayer that Jabez prayed is a prayer we ought to listen to today. It was a prayer made in very similar circumstances as we find ourselves looking at today. We sit in front of our TV sets, don't we? And we think of ourselves, during this last 10 days especially, and we think of ourselves, what on earth are we, is happening to our, ourselves? What's, what's happening to our nation? What, what can we do about it? What can we do about the leadership of our nation? What can we do about our, our relationship with our European nations? nations? What, what is suddenly happening to our nation. And what is it that England can't even get as far as losing to Germany in penalties? I mean, the nation is, is going mad at the moment, isn't it? And as Christians, we, we see it all quite seriously and, and wonder what prayer we ought to be praying. Well, I want to suggest over these next few weeks that maybe it's a kind of big prayer that Jabez made in very similar circumstances. Here's that prayer again. Would you like to say it? with me this time. Oh, that you would bless me and enlarge my territory. Let your hand be with me and keep me from harm so that I will be free from pain. By the way, the name Jabez means pain. We don't know why. We don't know whether his mother gave uh, birth to Jabez in, in a time of pain. Was, he, was it bre breached birth and that kind of thing? Or did he come into the family at a very difficult time? Uh, Jabez's uh, father walked out on them. And we, we don't know. But for whatever reason, his mother gave him the name Pain. Don't you feel sorry for him? 
every time he went around. You know, do you sometimes say to your children, you're a real pain? Well, his mother said to him that all the time, because that was, the, that was what Jabez means. Who is Jabez, anyway? In 1 Chronicles chapter 4, it's actually one of the most unremarkable chapters in the whole Bible. Did you notice we didn't have a Bible reading this morning from 1 Chronicles chapter 4? And if I did choose uh, that reading for this morning, you'd be really glad that I didn't ask you to read it. You know, it's one of those chapters with lots of horrible names that we can't pronounce. It's just a list of names and a list of things which may be of interest to those people in those days and to historians, but probably not for us today. And the author rattles through this list of names, names such as Perez and Ezron and Kami and Hare and Shobel. And 44 names later, suddenly the author breaks off and tells us a little about Jabez. Jabez, says the author, was more honorable than his brothers. His mother had named him Jabez, saying, I gave birth to him in pain. Jabez cried out to the God of Israel, Oh, that you would bless me and enlarge my territory. Let your hand be with me and keep me from harm so that I will be free from pain. And God granted his request. What was it about Jabez that made the author break off in this genealogy to, to say this? Because as soon as he says this, he's back into the genealogy again and rattles off more and more names and plans. So what was it about Jabez, which, which made the author kind of say, hey, wait a minute, there's something you need to know about this guy, Jabez. Now, you can read the Bible from cover to cover, but I can tell you, you won't find anything about Jabez anywhere else. It seems as if the remarkable thing about Jabez is not anything that he did, but it's this prayer that he prayed. And as we shall see over these weeks, it is a remarkable one-verse prayer that Jabez made. Here it is again. We'd like to say it with me. I just want to, to really underscore it as we begin this series of sermons. Oh, that you would bless me and enlarge my territory. Let your hand be with me and keep me from harm so that I will be free from pain. And you can see why I've decided to make this a four-part series. It splits nicely into four parts. Oh, that you would bless me and enlarge my territory, let your hand be with me, and keep me from harm. So as we start to look at this prayer, you'll notice one thing about this prayer as you see it before you now on the screen, and that is actually quite a selfish prayer, don't you think? Do you notice that Jabez doesn't start about praying for others, or praying for the nation, or praying for that lot out there who are godless? He starts praying for himself. Oh, that you have blessed me and enlarge my territory. Let your hand be with me, and keep me from harm. Is it really possible that God wants us to be selfish in prayers like this? Does he really want us to ask and ask and ask again of things that I want? Isn't it a sign of immaturity to be greedy by asking God for more blessings upon me, me, me? Well, Jabez didn't think so. He prayed a big prayer to God, and he starts off by asking God to bless him. Oh, that you would bless me. And some versions, the version you might be looking at just now, some versions add the word indeed to the end of that. Oh, that you would bless me indeed. You can feel the expression, can't you? You can feel 
the, the anguish. You can feel the cry of the heart. Oh, God, that you would bless me indeed. It, it's a real cry for your heart, isn't it? That the words on the page doesn't do it justice. Here is Jabez saying, Oh, Father God, oh, that you would bless me indeed. God, bless me and do it now. God, don't wait. And what I mean is, bless me loads and bless me now. And the cry is that God might bless me. What does, what does this mean? Jeb, Jebez, Jebez is asking that God might bless me indeed. And, and what does that mean? What does it look like when you receive that kind of blessing? Well, we recently thought quite a bit about blessings. Um, in the series we've just completed, in the zone, we considered how God is the blessor. And we sometimes sing, don't we? Praise God from whom all blessings flow. God is a blesser and he pours, showers blessings upon us. And we receive those blessings so that we can be so blessed, so overflowing with God's blessings that we can't help but be a blessing to others. And so we have this kind of acted out now by 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 Jabez, who prays for those kind of blessings, so much so that he might be a blessing to others. And so we might receive that invitation this morning. We, we might want to join in with Jabez in a plea that, Lord, you would bless me. In this time of uncertainty, in this time where people are looking for answers, oh, Lord, in the midst of the chaos, would you bless me indeed, God? Let's look into a little bit further into this matter of blessings because it's obviously a very important part. It's what Jabez begins this prayer with. So what does it mean to be blessed? We, we, we hear it so often used, sometimes quite glibly, don't we? Oh, uh, when someone perhaps comes to you with an expression of concern, we might, say, oh, we might say, oh, bless you. Or we might ask God to bless a, a meal when we say a grace before a meal. Or maybe it's what grandma says when we sneeze. You know, bless you is something that we, we say quite often. Within our core, within the church, we sometimes ask God to bless our missionaries, to bless our children, to bless others. We even have a verse in our songbook which says, bless our general, bless our leaders, bless our officers as well, bless our converts. Bless our soldiers, speed the war against sin and hell. Bless our army, bless our army. We will all thy goodness tell. So what does this word blessing mean that we seem to use so much? Well, it isn't asking God to bless us so that we can have more of what we already have and more of what we can give ourselves. Rather, it's asking for God, to God, that he would give us something which is beyond ourselves, not something that is ordinary, but something that is extraordinary. Not something that is natural, but something that is supernatural. Something which can only come from the infinite riches that are in Christ Jesus, as Paul puts it. This is what the writer is referring to in Proverbs, when he writes, The Lord's blessing is our greatest wealth. All our works adds nothing to it. And the second point we ought to note about blessings is that blessing is not unusual. The next problem we have to overcome is the belief that 
if blessings are the supernatural works of God, then then maybe blessings are not for us. Maybe blessings are for people like Jabez and others in the Bible. But maybe what we're talking about here are not for ordinary rank-and-file guys like me. Well, for a start, Jabez was not exactly one of the big boys in the Bible. But he obviously felt he could pray this seemingly selfish prayer that God would bless him and bless him indeed. And elsewhere in Scripture, it seems as if blessings are there for the asking. In fact, it seems to be the root of our problem that actually we just don't ask. Maybe God wants to bless us. Maybe God wants to bless our church or the church which you come from. Maybe he wants to bless us abundantly. But maybe we don't ask. Maybe we're not specific enough. Maybe our prayers are not big enough. Maybe our faith is too small. What do we pray? What do your prayers look like and sound like? Who do you pray for? What do you ask? Do you then or have you ever asked God to abundantly bless you? To abundantly bless beyond anything more than all we ask or imagine? Have we ever done that? Jesus says quite simply and straightforwardly to his followers on the Sermon on the Mount, ask and it will be given to you. James explains that you do not have because you do not ask. It's as simple as that. And going back to Paul's assertion that there are infinite riches in Christ Jesus, what a, what a pity that there is so much to be given to us, but we don't ask. We don't believe it is our right. We think that God is only going to bless biblical characters and the spiritual giants of our age. We can't imagine that God wants to bless little old me and little old you. That God wants to bless our core here. That God wants to bless the community, the congregations, wherever you come from. Maybe it's there for the asking. And the point of this prayer is that is that God did bless Jabez, as we'll see later in the prayer, that this prayer concludes with these words, and God granted his request. What big prayers would we make if we knew that God would answer our prayers? God has always wanted to send blessings on his people. God has always wanted to reward faith and belief. God has always wanted to agree with him so that he can do his work here on earth. It's in God's nature to bless. And this leads me to to my final point this morning, which is this. That blessings are normal. Blessing is a normal activity of God. Far from being the extraordinary, unusual thing, blessing is normal. I remember when in Latin America, there was a mighty um, outpouring of the Holy Spirit. And people were being saved by the hundreds, by the thousands. The churches were growing. God was doing amazing. God was blessing his people. And you know, when people got up on a Sunday morning, they got ready and went to church because they dared not go to church. They were fearful of the fact that if they didn't go to church that Sunday morning, they would miss something. So much was God abundantly blessing um, the, the activities of Latin America in those days. Wouldn't it be great if we lived in those days that we ask such big prayers that God would bless us, that God would pour out so many blessings. We won't want to stay away. We won't want to miss out on anything because we want to be part 
of, of, of seeing God do his action and to see it happening through us and to see God's wonders and miracles happening. And we, we keep, on asking, keep on asking because God is wanting to answer the fervent prayer of a righteous man and of a righteous woman. And so this morning, friends, I want to challenge you to pray the prayer that Jabez prayed for himself, for yourself. The prayer is on your newsletter this week. Maybe take it on, maybe cut it out, maybe stick it on your fridge at home, maybe put it on your desk at work. Maybe it's a prayer that each day of this coming week that you would want to pray this prayer. Oh, that you would bless me. Oh, that you would enlarge my territory. Let your hand be with me and keep me from harm so that I may, may, will be free from pain. God has already received a cry for a blessing from an obscure Bible character called Jabez. So he's not going to be surprised if you pray this prayer. And he's not going to be surprised as I pray the prayer. Oh God, bless me indeed. But a word of warning, this is not a ritualistic prayer. Scripture shouldn't be taken like medicine. You'll take it twice a day and you'll be, you'll be fine. Rather, we need to use Scripture as part of our prayer, as part of our response to God, as part of knowing the purpose of God's will for our, our lives. Reciting verses of Scripture or saying repetitive prayers will not bring an overnight solution to your health worries, to your money problems, or to your family anxieties. That's to completely miss the point. But when you do start praying this kind of prayer, when you open your spirit to God, the heart that was in Jabez's prayer will be your heart. And your mindset will be changed. You'll start, be, you'll start looking for the great things that God is going to do. You can expect your outlook to change. And you can start to see life changing for the better. So as I conclude this morning, friends, as we think of our world, as we think of our nation, as we pray for better days ahead, as we think about our divided world, as we think about our world being less than the world that God created, we live in a world where God is looking for that man, for that woman to stand in the gap and to pray. And to, to pray that God will shower us with those blessings. What a church we can become. What a people we can become. What a nation we can become if we are faithful in this one matter of prayer. You know, when I was preparing this message, and some preachers will, will know what I'm talking about. Sometimes I'm preparing this, and just out of the blue, I came across another verse, a completely different part of the Bible, and I just wanted to share this with you. Because in the midst of praying and, and working through this, um, this message this morning, I came across this verse in Joel. We only tend to look at Joel on the day of Pentecost. But look at this verse we find in Joel chapter 2. Return to the Lord your God, for he is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and abounding in love, and he relents from sending calamity. Who knows? He may turn and have pity and leave behind a blessing. I just thought that was a lovely turn of phrase. Who knows? God might just leave behind a blessing. Dear friends, as we walk for Christ, as we want to stand for Christ, wouldn't it be great if, if just God left behind a blessing wherever we go? 
maybe we need to each pray for that, that God will do the extraordinary through the ordinariness of our lives. That we might ask God for the abundant blessings that he longs to give us. That well-known hymn, a wonderful saviour, is Jesus my Lord. We find these words in the concluding verse. With numberless blessings, each moment he crowns, and filled with his goodness divine, I sing in my rapture, O glory to God, for such a redeemer as mine.